Hello and welcome to another episode of Midiera Meets, where we speak to all sorts of people who work in sound and music. On the show this time we've speaking to Emma, who is a really talented producer, uh, composer, sound designer. Um, she makes really amazing music, really ethereal, dreamlike music. Um, she also runs her own Pastel Prism uh, record label, which she releases on. And she's really well known for being behind not only the Fatberg, which we talk about, but also uh, the Producer Girls workshops, um, allowing people who are non-males to be in a comfortable learning space that's fun and learn how to make electronic music. Thank you very much for supporting the podcast. Thank you very much for listening. It really, really means a lot. There's going to be some amazing episodes coming up, including this one. Um, Emma's cooking a chicken during this so you'll see a question about a chicken come up that's why and um, yeah let's get on with it the first question I asked Emma was about her musical beginnings my earliest memory of music is probably headbanging to Bohemian Rhapsody in the back of mum's car um, and around that time uh, also mum listened to, was listening to a rave tape which is all I can remember it was like rave music on a tape and that was our favorite tape me and my sisters um and yeah the, the head banging came from Wayne's World I think maybe that scene in Wayne's World so that's probably my earliest memory I mean if you want to discount new kids on the block and Jason Donovan um which may predate that actually <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we should ever discount new kids on the block and Jason Donovan NKOTB they were called weren't they yeah I had I had a bright yellow Walkman at some point god I shouldn't really be saying this because I'm I'm aging myself but um yeah the yellow Walkman and new kids on the block now you've mentioned it amazing and what was it about those artists and that that particular song for headbanging that like got you going well I think it was mum's influence not new kids on the block but mum was quite like there was an incident with our um my dad's Welsh and um, when we were like very young some of some friends of um, my grandparents in Wales told us to sing God Save the Queen and um, mum was apparently really impressed because we me and my sisters started singing Bohemian Rhapsody instead Um, (laughs) (laughs) so I think it maybe developed a bit of a obviously I was too young to know that they were kind of getting at something but um yeah, that was a proud moment. So it's probably been repeated quite a few times over the years for my mum. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, I mean, Bohemian Rhapsody is such an epic, isn't it? It's, it's just the most powerful piece of music in, <laughs> in very distinctive phases. You know, the dynamics of the record are incredible, aren't they? Yeah, it's listening to like on Dad's Hi-Fi. I think that it was so dramatic and... And there was a few songs like that, I think, that mum and dad would play. And I'm trying to think of other ones. Phil Collins, obviously, he's he's made he made an appearance around that time and um Super Trump. So yeah, all those kinds of quite yeah, epic kind of stadium kind of sounds, I suppose. Very loud in, in our in our lounge. <laughs> <laughs> Whereabouts did you grow up? In Chester, um really? town, yeah. So um, I was born in Liverpool and grew up in Chester and then moved 
think in year six or something to the Wirral Peninsula, which is kind of a few miles away. And uh, but my school was in Chester because that's kind of where all my friends were from the first years, I suppose. And then I went to university in uh, Sussex, Brighton. Did you? Yeah, I was trying. Oh, I was nice. trying to get as far away from school as possible, so I went to <laughs> Brighton. <laughs> but I, I mean, I was born in Liverpool, but that was more to do with um, capacity at, at the the hospital in Chester. But and it was a better hospital in in Liverpool. Um, but but my whole family's from there on one side, so my mum was quite happy about that. Um, she thought it would be lucky. That I was that we were born there as well. So um. nice. And when um, so, did, when did you start sort of playing instruments and stuff? Is that something your parents shoehorned you into doing? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think obviously the suggestion I think would have come from them to start piano lessons. Um, I'm trying to. I think my, you know, my mom always wanted like a piano in the house and things and you know we did like me and my sisters we did like ballet and that didn't that didn't go too well because I I couldn't really behave in in that kind of environment and I found it quite boring actually so piano I I found really interesting but I didn't like the exams and it just seemed like extra school work so I stopped um I basically gave my piano teacher an ultimatum and took stairs (laughs) took stairway to heaven along with me and said um, I'm gonna. It, it's Lord of the, the Rings and Stairway to Heaven or nothing. And and she was like, yeah, okay. I think she thought I was a lost cause, so she just kind of didn't put any pressure on me. And and then I did that for a bit. But then when GCSEs and stuff came along, I just I kind of gave it up. But uh, yeah, I um, I played the piano in a in a play in school, and I was in a. A string quartet but I was the the the, the um, left hand of a piano duo with my friend Natasha oh, that's cool. yeah and we played like I want to say um the verve and things like that like the just to kind of give you a, a time stamp on the era but it was we, we definitely did like pop songs like that and but I didn't study didn't Fantastic. study GC, GCSE music or anything although I, I kind of wish I did now to be honest yeah, I have to apologise for that leading question that I said then. The reason I said shoehorned was because I got shoehorned into doing it when I was a kid. That was, I shouldn't lead a question like that, sorry. <laughs> but yeah, that that is really cool. That is really cool. And um, yeah, I think um, I, I had similar frustrations when I was learning the piano. I wanted to play Jean-Michel Jarre, like I wanted synths. And I was just playing this like blingy, blongy, blingy, blongy, <laughs> like classical stuff. So yeah, I, I love that you actually sort of fought back and were like, "You got to do it. You got. We got to play these songs that I want." Um, that's really, really, really cool. That's yeah. That's funny. You said Jean Michel Jarre because I would have wanted to do that too, but I didn't know who he was. But I knew the oxygen part, whatever it is, because they always had it in um, the arcade where we went on holiday, playing on um, in the in the amusement arcade, and that was like, I remember right. hearing it and thinking this is the best music of all time. Like, what is this? What is this? And yeah, it was just amazing to, to, that he got into that environment. I mean, how does one get into an arcade, you know? That's pretty cool. 
<laughs> yeah, he got everywhere. He was like the first guy to have a music concert in China. Um, and yeah, he's broken down a lot of barriers over the years. And he's like ageless as well as Jean-Michel mm-hmm. Jarre. He like never, he's like 70 or something. And he still looks like he's about 45. Yeah. Is that because uh, he's, 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 he's French and they just are really stylish and, and you just, I don't know. I, I saw him speak at an event actually. Really? Guardian Live. Wow. My sister got me a ticket. Probably about four oh, years fantastic. ago now. Yeah, do you think do you think French people are able to style out their age so they're able to yeah. I think that's an interest that's an interesting idea that because they're so stylish, they actually <laughs> are able to subtract years off their appearance yeah. by compensating with style. Well yeah, I do, but I also think and this is me thinking about it for two seconds, is that they appreciate aging over there. Like they actually appreciate right like an older woman and you know they appreciate like from um, a kind of style standpoint they there's certain things even with to do with makeup and stuff that they do differently to what we do like they're not obsessed with like anti-aging like they they think that um dark circles under your eyes makes it look like you've had an interesting life and all these kinds of things that you pick up I mean hopefully it's not just propaganda but I'm kind of I kind of um I think that yeah, they they have more of a respect for the aging process there than here, and maybe that's part of it as well. Yeah. Uh, oh, so what did you do at uni, by the way? You said you went to Brighton Uni. Yeah, I um I did um, documentary making and media production. Um, oh, cool. So, yeah, it was it was very practical uh, kind of stuff, and that's really where I started processing audio for the first time and kind of preferred it to um filmmaking really excellent what was it like living in brighton oh it was brilliant yeah it was really great um it was quite uh i really enjoyed the freedom that it kind of represented at the time when i was there and i mean it was my first experience you know being around people that weren't from two miles down the road and stuff and that's a lot of the London, a lot of the people from London that were studying there actually bought a lot of knowledge about dubstep and things like that, which went on to kind of influence my early going out era, I suppose, when I was a student. And then I started meeting people that were producing the tracks that we were hearing. And and that's really how I um, got involved with doing it myself because I could see it being done oh, around nice. me. I love that, that you went into it from... Um, from video editing from the audio side of video editing because yes um, all of the video editors they always have like plugins that are like the the sort of native plugins to that to that video Mm -hmm. editing software so yeah whatever you buy you've always got like a reverb and uh, yeah chorus effect and maybe um, something that will do side chaining and all that kind of stuff um, but they're they're, always, they're quite funny to use because yeah they're not as high fi as maybe what you'd be used to in production the production world but they are still super fun to mess around with and uh, and they've all got their own character yeah no definitely and um, and it also became quite apparent that if you if you sound can't be an afterthought as well um, because I think when you know you you approaching it from ground zero you just are focusing on the shots and um, and you know what you're actually you know going to be filming and things and and the, I I think I soon realised that um, shit sound would ruin whatever you were doing and and um, but it, we also had a I mean we had one teacher that 
I liked who um was from Canada or somewhere and he he'd been um a foley artist in um film and so we had we had a whole I don't even know if it was on the course or whether he was just showing us like things like if you were going to a boxer was going to break someone's nose in in raging bull or whatever you could punch a lettuce and stuff like that and recreate it (laughs) and that was like wow (laughs) this is amazing and yeah it made it really fun so that I think yeah the first I can actually remember the first task that we did which was sound wise which was um like a black and white movie of like someone watching um a film in a in a house and we had to create the whole sound for it and with sound effects and um I just I turned it into like a really terrifying um <laughs> like scary thing and I, I'm like I remember I put some canned laughter on, <laughs> as if the person was watching like you know some eerie sh- like just some and then it just I just find it really fun how you could how sound had such an my work compared to other people who'd gone down a completely different route had had changed the whole thing and yeah that's when I thought oh I could actually get into this thing that's cool that's such a great avenue into it um and I I completely agree about like when visuals and sound don't marry up it's instantly jarring like you can't watch it uh like it's it's really odd that isn't it you know that fusion really either works together or it doesn't i think it 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 also flips around like i have like i sometimes do a bit of vjing and you can really have a contrasting you can really get it wrong vjing too you know like it sort of works in both directions in Mm. some way yeah it's not something that you can i think it's one of those things like even like producing a podcast people sometimes people go oh yeah we should do a podcast or you should do one and as if you can just pull it out of thin air and i think visual audiovisuals you might think you could just press a few buttons but it actually probably takes loads of work to get that to do that yeah I can say that I just generally throw this shit together and it sort of just about works out um but yeah there's there is time required in in the post production a little bit I think that's probably the main one for me aside from editing (laughs) That's great. And so when did you start like making your own music? Like you said, you're inspired by people on the scene. Yeah. When did you start making your own music? I think it was, uh, could it have been second year of university? Yeah, I think it was second year of uni when I, I was out in Liverpool and with my sister and I was speaking to a guy there about this night we were at where there's only like two people at it. And then it turned out he was from Liverpool, but he lived in Brighton. So we became really good friends. And then he, um, I was I was going on about wanting to learn how to produce and he gave me a copy of Fruity Loops. And um, I, at that time, I was also listening to a lot of um, American stuff, like um, rap and things like that. So I think I, I started off by sampling Little John. <laughs> Um, trying to make some crunk uh, when I was about 19, <laughs> 19 or something, 20. And then and then I was friends with um, my friend Tom who ran D- Dub Pressure in Brighton. And 
another guy, another friend, Dave, who is friends with my friend Sim Hutchins. And he, they, so I've known him for, um, I don't know, longer than I know, really, like 12 years. Mm. And he was making stuff in, I was under several aliases and I was doing drops for him. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing drops like for him, for his tracks in like a female voice. And then I can't remember how, who was the first, I think my friend Dave, I made a tune called like Magic Cat, which um, about my cat, which um, Dave put in a mix because Dave I felt like Dave was a proper DJ and I think he he got it put on vinyl or something and then that was when I thought I'm gonna have to start doing this properly because it's really fun and um my friends can play my stuff and what he put your track on vinyl yeah he cut a dub plate of it and um yeah that was like in 2008 or nine maybe wow there's no higher praise for (laughs) your friend's music if your mate is cutting a dub, a VIP dub plate of your track. Yeah, um, I know. And I mean, I hope I haven't scrambled that in my brain, but that's how I remember it. What version of Fruity Loops was it? Oh, um, like, oh, it was pre-seven. So I'm going to say it was three or four. Yeah, maybe. it could have been three. And that's, that makes me feel like I was right there, right at the start of FL Studio. Because now it's 20, isn't it? Or 21 or something. I know. It's so mad. It is, you, yeah, you were there right at the start. Amazing. Good. <laughs> not <laughs> not quite. I think the start was like 2000 and... Wasn't it like 2000 or something? I don't know. Probably. And there's probably like one track of audio or no tracks of audio and it's all MIDI like Cakewalk was. Um, that's cool. Yeah. Why? Do, what drew you to Fruity Loops? Why did you... Um, what was it about that that like got you it was because I had a pc and a laptop and I liked the name and someone was like try reason and I remember thinking well I've never heard of that so no and I think I like the idea that I knew that grime I knew about the grime connection as well and the fact that it opened at 140 bpm and that was what kind of helped shape grime as a sound and um or what came to be labeled as grime by external parties um at the time so i think i I felt like i wanted to be connected to something that was going on because i remember like at dub pressure for example dwe turned up one day in the crowd and things and I, i kind of i just you know when you see these people around and like who you idolize the music and things when you're like in your early 20s I was like I need to be part of that so I think that's and obviously it's just very easy to use as well like if you've got a creative idea um and you're not like um yeah you've got good ideas I think it's you should use Fruit Loops because it's really easy to put your ideas down 100% yeah it's not um it's an, it's not over complicated and it's still um produces like very high quality like you can still do whatever you can do in any other door and like for example Ableton I've never been able to really get on board with that even though I've tried um I do find it's better for midi for um sorry my cork it's easier to just set up and you know plug it in but I, I can't be bothered with um all the, the all the symbols and the shortcuts I can't I just 
doesn't compute with my brain. Yeah, I can understand that. Um, yeah, I think you're right about Fruity Loops as well. It is just one of those things that you can hit the ground running with an idea. Um, I used Fruity Loops in the early part of, of, of making music and I've got, I've still got, I still really like the tracks I made at Fruity Loops like maybe 20 years ago mm-hmm. or coming up to. So yeah, I, um, yeah, it's, it's great. I think it's just, you know, one of the things that is cool. I mean, the way it looks is quite nice. The way it was like quite modular, you could sort yeah. of move things around yeah. and set it up how you wanted it. Um, uh, just the way that you could, if you were like doing a hi-hat pattern, you could just hold down the left button and go and just draw in all the hi-hats like that. That just made it so quick to just throw in ideas and, um, just go, Oh, put the snare there and put the snare there. You know, the way it's like a step sequencer. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I found that cool. I think the drum rack. Yeah, it's. I think. No, what's what's it called? Yeah, I don't think it's called a drum rack, is it? Um, no, that thing. Yeah, the sampler thing. That's very good for drum patterns, and it. Because it, I always used to find drums quite like a boring necessity, um, <laughs> and that was quite like just great because you didn't have to spend so much time thinking about it. Mm. And I think also the one forty. The 140 uh, beats per minute that you that you talked about is an interesting place where like grime and techno meet together, because um, yeah. I you know there, there's definitely people making it for grime and there's yeah but yeah it's funny tempo for it to open up with because traditionally every single DAW is always opened at 120, yeah. so that's quite just just cool as like a stupid little thing that's that's just a nice addition. Yeah, yeah. I wonder who decided it. <laughs> yeah. Cool. And so, yeah, when did you go on to your first release then, I suppose? Yeah, when did you start to think... When did you start to think that you'd like to put your music out there? Um, I graduated and I went back up north and uh, I was still making tunes after I got in for my nine-to-five nine I was back at home with my parents and I obviously used to go back and forth back to Brighton back to go and stay in London with my friends and it was like the one the one thing that I still had is continuity with um my uh previous life so I think um I'm trying to think oh yeah and then I, I so Sully put my one of my tunes in a fact mix which was like a big deal and and then my friend Tom said, oh, we should put it out. And then he, yeah, and I was like, yeah. And then so my friend Tom, who ran Dub Pressure, him and his um, then partner Letty um, had this label, Wavy Tones, which they kind of created to put my um, put my tunes out on. And it was, I think that was the only release that was on Wavy Tones. But yeah, that was, that was the, that was, that came out in 2012. So I'd moved to London by then and, we went to get it mastered at um, Bo. Bo mastered it um, from ten eight seven, I think it's called. But I sat in on that, and and then he he. I was sitting in on it, being like, "Sorry if, if this is shit or whatever," because I felt like <laughs> <laughs> I, I felt like, "Oh my god, how am I getting away with this?" Um, and he was like, "No, it's not shit," and you've not over-processed it so I can actually do something to it which is the whole point of mastering and everything is is perfectly fine and balanced so it was when I I suppose when I heard him say that I thought oh 
maybe I can, you know, maybe I can do this or release more music. And yeah, I guess then went from there, really. Hmm. Because I, I, I love your music. It's like, it's so, um, it's so vivid and, and um, yeah, it's like really paints very strong pictures in, in the mind, like 3D space. And yeah, it's there. It's really, it's really like, it's like being, going to another world in some way, like visiting somewhere. Yeah, I think um, I probably quite like to see it as world building. Um, which I didn't know was a word until recently, but I think that's what I tend to do is is try and do something that's um, transportative, I suppose, um, that that remove that another reality, but not in a pretentious way. Like I don't do anything really that fancy from a technical standpoint. Like the more I learn about production, the more I think, well, I definitely wasn't doing, haven't been doing that. Like I didn't know, for example, until recently that there were other other things apart from panning <laughs> that can make the widen your mix. Um, I, le- I learned that when I was doing um, soundtrack work, I said like a couple of years ago and no one's like, it's just interesting how you, you know, when you create stuff and you come at it from a certain kind of mindset that um, you end up creating something that sounds quite unique, but it's really just you working with what you know, I suppose. Definitely. And I really admire the, the sort of like trajectory that you've been on it with your music in terms of, um, yeah, that, that approach to making music that you, you know, the sounds that you want to create and the, um, like, yeah, I think for a lot of people who are sort of self-taught in, in production as, as I am, and uh, as I guess a lot of people are, and as you are, um, you can quite easily do something that is wrong that sounds great you know that like um you know people wouldn't think about doing because it's technically or you know it's not it's not seen to be the way to do things but i really like that approach and um yeah i think you you end up taking your music to some really interesting places when you do break those rules yeah i mean i think the more you're aware of the less the more barriers you have to creating something, I think you start thinking, maybe I can't do that. Maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe I should be doing this. And it's all like driven by the ego mind. Um, and particularly, you know, thinking about producing for other producers is, is driven by the ego mind. Like it's, 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 it's coming from a place of fear. Like I need to prove that I can do this and I need to prove that I know everything there is to know about production and all that. And, I mean, obviously, some people have a genuine interest in learning all all of it. The, you know, um, is, is or sticking to the rules, I should say. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a bloody machine, and you know, you can do what you want with it because you are the human, and that's the machine, and you can use it to express yourself like however you want. Definitely, I spoke to a guy called Pendle Poucher who um, he makes some um, like contact instruments, really weird ones like treated pianos and stuff like that. And he had to, he was asked to do a preset pack for like serum or silent or something. And he said his approach to it was just to try and break it. <laughs> he wanted, that was his objective, was to make sounds with it that were basically it breaking and malfunctioning. 
And I was just like, man, that's such a cool way to approach it. Because I would have just been like, oh, shit, I need to deliver exactly what they want. So then, like, I would imagine what they want and and try and create that and get some fucking weird approximation of it. Yeah. Whereas I just love that he's going, I'm just going to fuck it up. Just make it sound mental and break it. Like, yeah, I just thought that was such a genius approach. Yeah. I mean, why not? It's... um... Yeah, because I think when you start worrying about, when you start playing to like an imagined audience, like you, you, it's completely lose sight of what you're actually trying to achieve. And if if you've got a clear intention, then you should just um, stick with it, keep with it. Definitely. And I really liked um, you were speaking in, I think this was in the Worldwide FM chat, which you did fairly recently. You were saying about when you, uh, sort of relating to what we're talking about now in the, um, you, when you start off you're quite free and there's no there's no rules early on making music and so yeah you you might actually create some of your most seminal work in that time yeah i don't yeah yeah something that's like a a, a rough rough outline of what you're saying but i really oh, think yeah. that's true um yeah it's it's like a very fertile time to just create with no limits yeah and i think then it, it the challenge is then to keep try and keep that freedom as you progress as a as a producer yeah because um I mean one of the first things I ever made was used on a Gucci advert which if that hadn't have happened you know I might have um not had not I don't know I might have um doubted myself at certain points about like that previous statement but I know for a fact that I made that in 2009 um and a free freeware VST was involved in the making of it. <laughs> are you uh, are you going to divulge what was the VST? I'm not going to divulge what it is. You're not I, I'm giving away all my secrets all the time, production wise. I'm going to keep that keep that for myself. Might be my, my favourite one ever is SQ8L. I don't know if you know SQ8L. I don't know it, but would I like it? You'd fucking love it. Well, maybe you send me a link it. to that because I need to branch out. It's only 32-bit windows, so you need to either no. be do some jiggery-pokery or... Uh, well, I can explain it, but it's honestly worth it. It's well, honestly worth I have it. got a laptop, a wind- I've got a Dell, which has got 32-bit FL Studio on it, so I could just open it in that. SQ8L. You love it. It's a it's a VST replication of the SQ80, which is an Ensonic uh, synth, and basically all the Ensonic. That's American company. Uh, they all just sound amazing. All the stuff Ensonic did in like the late nineties oh. and early two thousands is just badass. Uh, it sounds amazing. And the SQ80 is like the the digital. It was it was released in a time when digital was not cool anymore. I think when it was just. Oh no, maybe it was actually cool when it came out. But yeah, that that is a secret <laughs> weapon. That is amazing. Cool. Brilliant. So yeah, you yeah. How did that Gucci thing come about then? Because I wasn't aware that that was an old track of yours. Um, yeah, how did it come about? Um, and what did it feel like to see your music played on that? Um, well, I did kind of update it um, for for the advert, but. It, 99% of it was the original thing. I just added in, because I, I, I bought the Korg, I decided to add some swooshy noises into it. You know, that's the end, Obviously. that's it, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, how did it come about? Um, yeah, well, one of my friends, um, well, one of my friends, that, it was quite funny, actually, because um, 
yeah, one of my friends was putting my work forward um, at her agency and it wasn't the right fit for various things. And then, and then I kind of just, she, she, she said, oh, I think, um, I think we might have a hit with one of your tracks. And um, I was like, all right, cool. Thinking, yeah, that's not, I've heard it's not going to happen. And then my wildest dreams came true. And um, I think the best, the best thing about it is that T.P. Hedren is in the advert from um, Hitchcock's The Birds. I mean, that's just amazing, isn't it? And the advert just looks so good as well. It's, and it's, it's about a fortune teller. And um, it basically legitimized my existence to my entire, my entire family. <laughs> so that was the main thing it did as well, which is why well, it's still in my email signature. <laughs> congratulations on, on, on obtaining um, fam, familial success. From, yeah, I still haven't done that yet. I'm still like the fucking failure. Um, that's really cool. That's really cool. And yeah, phenomenal thing to be to be part of. There's no again. I mean, you've with your with your own friend pressing a dub plate of your record and then the Gucci advert. These are like hugely yeah hugely reassuring there are, there are about 20 years in between both of those events <laughs> but yeah no it is reassuring definitely, isn't it definitely that, yeah you know. cool and i just want to quickly ask you before i forget and i know we are gonna run out of time at some point but i just wanted to ask you if i'm right in thinking that you created the fatberg twitter account oh my god how do you know that <laughs> Well, because I think I I used to follow you on when I was on Twitter. I followed you on Twitter, and I think you mentioned it at some point. And I just, just <laughs> that is one of the funniest things ever. Um, well, it's not my first parody account, but um, it was the one that got on Channel 4's Twitter feed. So, yeah, it was it was quite funny actually because <laughs> I was in a I was in a job. Um, with a really good team, like an office job, but I was I'd handed in my notice. And because um, I'd had enough and I was just losing the will to live. And we would we, we'd all just been banned on, on Skype from private conversations. And we, we but we had a group that we were all me and my colleagues were in. And um, the, the news broke about the Fatberg because <laughs> we were a part of our job was monitoring the news. <laughs> and the news broke about the Fatberg. And um, I think I don't know whether I. And as soon as it broke, as a joke, I I put in the thing like the Twitter account and put a tweet that I'd done, and uh, <laughs> just as the joke in itself that a parody account had already sprung up, you know, for this fatberg. And then, and then ITV News had a live blog on it, and they <laughs> updated their blog with and a Twitter account has just been created, and the entire office burst out laughing at the same time. And then the manager was like. Look, giving me the evils like what have you done you know why have you why is everyone laughing when you've all just been banned from skype um yeah you're not basically you're not allowed to be having a good time <laughs> essentially yeah it was honestly looking back it was just awful but um it still unites us to this day i think that was like 20 again that was 2012 or 13 i think that was That's absolute genius that's like one of the funniest things ever did you see it then well, did you see it first time round or did you? Well, when, well, okay, first of all, let's just define what the Fatberg is for people that don't know, because there's probably some people from not England who are listening. 
What what is the fatberg? Oh, I can't believe you're making me define it. Can't okay, I? should I define it? I'll define yeah. it. Okay, a fatberg, uh, as far as I understand it, it's, it was some massive lump of fat that's within <laughs> the streets of the sewers of and the underground of London. I think this one was in Kingston. Was it in Kingston? Yeah. Okay, so it's like basically a giant lump of it's fat. It's like baby wipes and, and cooking oil. <laughs> <laughs> There was it was sort of I think they photographed it and it's just it looked and then someone coined the term fatberg yeah um, but it was, it was the size of an iceberg or something yeah but I think what you did like you managed to it, you took it to the next level the fatberg was suddenly like everyone was talking about it and then like it was also <laughs> and it's got a Twitter account which is just fucking hilarious and since then the fatbergs have got so much press I think I I started the whole thing really. Yeah, you could be like an ambassador. You could be like worldwide ambassador for br- raising awareness about fatbergs. It was, yeah, I remember, I, I have to check, I forgot the password of it, but um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I, I can't remember how it, how it, um, I think maybe that was why, what ended it actually. I think I was worried it was going to get hacked, so I put two-factor authentication on it, then lost a phone and forgot the password and could never get into it again. I think that's what happened. Oh, what a shame. But brilliant idea, Emma. That is, like, one of the fucking funniest things I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Just had to ask you about that. No problem. Um, Yeah. Oh, well, well, is there anything that you would like to talk about? Is there anything that you'd like to, like, discuss or or bring up? Uh, Maybe we could... um play a track from the al- the new out al- the album not new the album one that came out last year or something like that yeah sure okay well if you okay if you send me the track then i'll put should it I, in at should this i should i introduce the track off the album um okay and talk maybe i could say that we could end on it maybe i mean if not if it's i mean not if it's not the format i don't even want to mess with the format no it's fine i mean this is the whole beauty of it being just literally a thing i do from my bedroom it's like <laughs> it's can everything can change i've started putting weird sound effects in at some in, in the intros when when people donate to the podcast i put a little i put the sound effect from zelda when he opens up a, a big treasure chest when someone donates <laughs> oh that's good <laughs> so yeah i'm not afraid to shake it up a bit <laughs> Yeah, so um, I guess, yeah, Producer Girls is a good thing to talk about, isn't it? So um, that's something you started in around 2016. Um, What's the ethos and the idea behind Producer Girls? Well, um, it's essentially direct action, um, grassroots to, you know, when I started it, it was, you know, it was to do with actually doing, physically doing something that would encourage uh, more women and gender minorities to take up music production because um, at that time I think it was pre kind of any discussion on the gender imbalance and music production it was a bit of a hostile time in general um, as in there was a lot of the, the, the boiler room trolling and all that kind of stuff um, was quite unpleasant and putting a lot of people off I think um, so yeah I just really wanted to to share my skills really that's where it started because I remembered that at university we used to do a similar thing where we used to put on lectures of our what we what we'd learned to other students who didn't take the course and it is a part of like our student kind of activism and 
yeah so so then I because I wanted to do it on FL Studio I wanted to find because that's what I know I, I wanted to find other producers that would inspire people to attend and and take it up so I put a tweet out asking for help and uh, P-Jam um, was the first producer to reply and help and didn't even know who I was and offered offered to help in any way he could and and brought in Dex Blissett, who um his mate who's both of them now very good friends of mine and and then I approached Iconica um because I, I knew that she'd used FL Studio at some point and had given me feedback in the early days and um would be a great um coach as well and then Nightwave in Scotland um she was doing similar stuff and we, she got in touch and she's been she's I would say that she's um helped she's kind of gone off and, and run her own workshops as part of producer girls up there and and I've lost count of the amount of artists that have come out of it and released stuff and done amazing things and um you know we've had people attend workshops in Manchester who've gone on to to teach music production themselves um and and people that have yeah just just done great things and really and it just brought me in contact with so many lovely people that which we're continuing it as a kind of online thing within the kind of current circumstances um and you can actually get the same message out there to more people I know that makes me sound like an old fogey but we've you know on our worldwide fm show we had um tracks sent in from south america vietnam um paris all over the place really so um just feels more important than ever really yeah it's a tremendous thing you've done i think um like the concept is itself is brilliant and you're definitely going to be uh, one of the, somewhere online i read you had 600 applications for your for the workshops that you mm -hmm. run which that's you know that's really really incredible um and also yeah to get like big name producers or like established producers uh in to help to help run those things is yeah it's great for people to see that stuff you know see what they're doing in fl studio in front of them and and then like yeah realize that they can do it yeah it's just um demystifying it element because a lot of it is um i mean we had we must have had thousands of applications overall um and one of the questions that I would put in would be why have you not started doing this yet because I just wanted to know because I, I I genuinely didn't know the answer and um people with it was a confidence largely a confidence thing people just assumed it was really complicated and they wouldn't be able to do it people didn't have anyone to ask questions to they couldn't make use of the really unorganized and overcomplicated resources on the internet um, which, you know, I get confused by as well. And then I, I kind of thought, well, the core principles that I know, I learned either myself after being pushed in the right direction by a friend or, um, you know, I, yeah, I learned from another human. So if you don't know other producers, then it's, it's 10 times harder, really. So I, I wanted to try and create a community where um, you know it's not just about us and them, but they can uh, people can meet and learn from each other as well. 
Fantastic. And uh, yeah, you, uh, I mentioned it earlier. You did. You recently did um, a show on Worldwide FM as part of Produce Girls, yeah. didn't you? Um, yeah, showcasing some of the tracks of some of the previous uh, like participants, which were absolutely incredible. Well, thanks for listening, Chris. Um, yeah, it was um, my yeah Worldwide FM. Um, shout out Will and Erica from Worldwide FM. Um, wanted to you know provide a platform for producer girls and we were kind of thinking about what the show could look like and and uh, it soon became clear because we were going to do like more of a tech discussion on on there and but it's, I suddenly thought this needs to be about their mu- the followers music like it needs to be a platform um and we, yeah we put the call out for for tracks and we just sent so many amazing tunes it was like these are from people that have just started producing in the last year as well, a lot of them. And the standard was just a bit, like really high and every, everyone had a nice story, like an interesting story behind their work and about who it was for or what it was about and the effect of like lockdown and stuff. And yeah, it's turned out yeah, really it's well. Yeah, it's fantastic. There's people from Buenos Aires, from uh scotland yeah. people from uh, someone from brighton yes. um yeah there was one i think the one from scotland that they had a record signed to soma records or something. oh yeah lisa i think lisa Luke. which is yeah. nuts yeah it's like absolutely seminal record label yeah that's amazing and yeah i think she, uh, she attended the scott scottish producer girls hmm well, you, I think you should be tremendously proud of yourself uh, for what you're doing. Obviously, don't dwell on your pride for too long, but yeah, you know, you should um, be proud of what you've done there. I think it's an amazing thing, like an ever-expanding, growing, beautiful thing. Yeah, we'll see where it goes next. We're just trying out a few things, really, to to kind of um, make it as useful as possible for people, and but keep its integrity and um, make it manageable to, you know, keep it going long long term. Um, an amazing thing that you've done there and you also you write for DJ Mag as well (laughs) yes I um because a year ago now actually to the week uh, I started writing the tips on the produce girls Instagram because I just I just felt like when they announced the lockdown and stuff and people were talking about learning Italian and things (laughs) (laughs) people were downloading Duolingo this time last year um thinking we could ever travel again I just thought, okay, I'm going to have to do some tips for people because they're going to be, we've got, we had about, I think we had about 600 followers and I just thought that, that I'm sure they'll, they'll benefit, they'll like some tips. Um, I wanted to do something useful really. Um, but we've now got over 2000 followers in that time, which is crazy. But I, yeah, I don't know how, how we've managed that, but people seem to like the, um, the contrast between the ridiculous aesthetic uh the graphics and um and the, and the straight talking in the comments <laughs> <laughs> no nonsense no nonsense tech That's, tips yeah i think i think yeah you do have like a really good uh aesthetic would be what how people would say it yeah uh, but but that also crosses over with your music and your releases as well which we should maybe uh talk about in a second yeah i love the the visuals for producer girls it's really fun you know it's like fun and vibrant and um, do you know the do you know the guy who does uh, um, he's called Underbelly and he does you suck at producing? No. 
Oh, okay. You might like him, right? Because he does. He's a, he's a quite a big YouTuber in terms of like the music tech world, but he's he just uses like ridiculous analogies for stuff, and he names his tracks like Uncle Joe's Barbecue is like. He always references his Uncle Joe in various scenarios in the production process. But, yeah, he's got a completely off-the-wall, stupid, uh, like, silly approach to music production. But within those, within his videos, there is ama- there are amazing lessons to learn about production. But he just brings these stupid narratives and these weird analogies that make you laugh, but at the same time, you really learn from mm. them. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, that's like what I'm trying to do. And because I, I just feel like sometimes I want to cry at how boring uh, a lot of the stuff is. And when you're under pressure or stress trying to find an answer to something, you want to be able to laugh at it. You want to be able to have a sense of humour about it. So I think it's really, yeah, I'm going to check that out, actually. Sounds. Oh, he's great. Underbelly. I, did, I mean, he's called Underbelly. That's just funny on its own. Um, but yeah, I think I like doing funny, stupid stuff because a lot of people take themselves way too seriously. And um, yeah, it's just good to prat about, isn't it, sometimes? Definitely. Yeah, no, I mean, that's like even like with my, my music, um, I have a sense of humour about it because I think, yeah, I don't know, it's part of part of my character, I suppose, but I think it's important definitely <laughs> it is yeah i mean for example indigo dream off the top of my head <laughs> i know you have a track called ryan gosling in space well well remembered i, I couldn't actually back up what i just said <laughs> i was thinking what <laughs> what was the what was the funniest thing that i've and then i thank god you've remembered that because i couldn't remember it <laughs> that ha- that sometimes happens in reverse in interviews like i've sort of forgotten something and then the person i'm talk- speaking to like picks up from where my brain like completely fucking forgot it so um i'm glad to repay the favor back yeah That's the great. universe um rewarding you yeah um i mean that was because i the track i actually took you know influence from his whole like crossover into being film director and mm. lost river which I thought was really good. I, I love I loved his directorial debut, but I remember some snobby review said that he'd like referenced too many other directors or something like that. Like he'd got too many and some you know some snobby shit. But I just kind of mm. thought, well, maybe this I am referencing Ryan Gosling, so I'm just going to come out and say it because um, I like you know Drive and um, Lost River and yeah that those, that particular era of like synth music and Ryan Gosling just in silence (laughs) 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 it was quite there's also yeah I was just gonna say it's quite influential on my like (laughs) (laughs) mid-20s there was also the one called Only God Forgives oh yeah that as well that as well yeah but I found that too scary to watch so I just had to listen to the soundtrack yeah, it was a bit of a switch up. Like I watched Drive and loved Drive, and then <laughs> I was really looking forward to that. And then it, yeah, it was a bit more of a bit slightly intense film. Yeah, because Drive's quite. You can watch Drive and relax, and then sometimes it's sometimes they just intense, like stove but... someone's head in, and then then it's just again Kavinsky, so you can just chill out a bit. But don't know. Oh, how's your chicken doing, by the way? Are you are you on top yeah, of that? Yeah, I've do- I've <laughs> I've um. Because I had such a packed day, I had to prep the vegetables at like 4pm, which made me feel like a, a character from Beauty and the Beast, like the, 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 the teapot. <laughs> I was like, why am I doing this now? But 
it's it's all um it's it's all it should be out of the oven now and my mum and dad and sister should have eaten it by now <laughs> oh great yeah okay cool well we are getting close i think we're getting ableton's telling me we're quite close to an hour now so um uh, do you want to maybe just talk a little bit about Indigo Dream? Is that cool? Yeah, so I, um, my album Indigo Dream came out in July last year. And it was basically that the... Because what my previous releases were always a little bit crammed into capitalism, you know, like um, a bit a bit rushed and a little bit sporadic. And also then I started DJing a lot. So I... Um, I was more focused on that really and um, getting better at DJing and I spent a lot of time not producing but I had all my ideas were still kind of formulating and I, as to what I wanted to do next where I needed to go next and initially when I finished my first album people were asking what are you going to do now in 2013 I said I was going to make um, synthetic western music um, and I made a couple of tracks that were um, western synth music um which have appeared on the album in a different guise glitter and uh ballad of janet um the last two tracks but yeah i i suppose i um i basically quit my job my full-time job again um like a pattern emerging here but um mm. I, i've done that many a time as well yeah, I always prefer to just walk out, you know, on my terms. And, yeah, um, there's something quite rock and roll about doing that, isn't there? <laughs> it's like, yeah. Going, fuck you all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I saved up some money um, to quit and take six months to just pull all the strings together, basically, of the, the, the five-year-old demos and the Ryan Gosling in space and... Um, the synthetic western and and there were other things that I <laughs> there were other other themes like the title track or indigo into indigo I, you know I made that in like 2015 maybe or and it's the, the, the it's the first iteration of it but I knew it had the potential to be um I knew that they all had the potential to be more spacious and more cinematic and that, that there was definitely a through line between everything but I'd never had the time to do it on my on properly. Um, so yeah, I spent like a really nice six months um, writing down all my notes and working out what was missing and, and what needed to be rewritten and just making sure I had gave things the time that they needed. And I was also doing like a film soundtrack at the same time. So I was having to learn loads of stuff for that to make it sound um, cinematic. So then I applied all of that to my album and um and there's also what's quite funny is I I did a short course in um an intro to to film film composing at Goldsmiths and um the two things that I presented to the class were um panned by by the teacher um including the cha- <laughs> <laughs> the first thing was a chase scene from um Enemy of the State with Will Smith, which we had to soundtrack, which I remember thinking, this is a bit weird because this is like uh, an artifact from like 2001 or something or 1999, I don't know. And, but it was really fun. So I did it, you know, like that Y2K, like 
bleepy kind of music where people thought the future was like you know I don't know the millennium bug or whatever yeah so I really enjoyed like using like all these like really cheesy presets from (laughs) FL studio and it was really it was really fun but he he didn't he just had a blank face I think when I presented it I don't know whether he thought I was taking the piss or what but Mm. um, and then the, the next thing was um Dracula um with Gary Oldman and Winona Ryder um and I did like a harpsichord thing for that which he hated the guy hated but um both of the midi melodies um from both of those project files ended up on my album in in different guises as well oh that's so cool (laughs) yeah so the Gary Oldman Winona Ryder love scene um is on shell as the MIDI strings um, in the intro. And um, the, <laughs> the the guy getting hit with the lorry. <laughs> the enemy of the state. And lying on the floor as the camera pans out. That's in Ballad of Janet. Is it? Yeah. Oh, my it's God. It's one, one of the synth melodies. <laughs> which is probably completely inappropriate for enemy of the state. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was enough to annoy my neighbours and get me out of a writer's block anyway. So shout, shout out to that course. That's so cool. And I think there is a slight, I mean, we've talked a bit about, you know, adulation and reassurance and things like that, but there is a slight mm. glory in the fact mm. that your teacher hated what you did. There's like mm. a glory in that, isn't there, sometimes <laughs> yeah. too, of like... Yeah, I really like it. Probably like was one of the most <laughs> memorable things, and I love that you put you know you you turned that thing into something, something new, and you used that. That's yeah. an amazing. I guess in the film world they would call that like an intertextuality, wouldn't they? I mean, I, God knows, to be honest, <laughs> I just wanted to, I just wanted to get one over on him. So um, no, I mean, I, I don't, I don't hold musical grudges. I mean, that sounds ridiculous, but mm. I, it was more that I liked it, you know, and I just thought okay, well, maybe in this form, it's not... I mean, it's just sitting on my hard drive. I might as well try and do something with it because yeah, I like that I like that one melody, so I'm going to take it and put it somewhere else. Yeah, I think it's fantastic that you did that. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. And then you've also scored a few sort of short films. I know your sister does um, oh, yes. video production professionally. Um, and, uh, yeah, so people should check out Liberty. There's Light Years. Uh, there's a thing I couldn't find, which is that girl Peugeot. Oh yes, um, yeah. So yeah, firstly, my sister Sophie. Shout out to her. Um, we've collaborated on a couple of um, short films. The latest one is um, is in a nocturne in Paris, which is uh, done pre-lockdown. It was it's it's uh, all of our co- collaborations centre around f- what is it to be um free to walk around in a space as a woman so like liberty was in nature light years was in london at night and nocturne in paris is walking around paris at night um and yeah that girl peugeot that was um directed by rebecca coley shout out to her um becky and yeah that that's um that's on the um like a the festival circuit so i think that's why it's not online anywhere but there's trailers online somewhere i think Mm. um but yeah that was a um a really amazing project to work on and learn a lot and um it was just so nice to have um like a a meaningful collaboration 
with such an esteemed director who, yeah, a lot kind of gave me freedom um, as an artist, but also a lot of great stuff to work with where it kind of ended up writing itself, really, because I was, you know, using the cues from from what her and the team had created. Fantastic. Yeah, I think it's like an extension of the, the visual world you're creating with sound. Yeah, uh, it works really, really well in video. Uh, maybe space. You've done one in nature, one in like the city, and maybe yeah. one in space. Get Ryan Gosling in. Oh, I'll mention that to Sophie. I think yes, yeah, she would definitely approve. May in fact, we definitely were. There was a long discussion about us doing a, a, a video for that. So my, maybe now is the time. Cool. Well, um, yeah. Thank you very much for speaking to me today really fun to speak to thanks you. for having me yeah um i yeah i really love what you're doing and i think your approach to production is really admirable and um yeah you you i think you give a lot of people hope and a lot of people excitement about making music so mm. uh, yeah thanks chris that's a nice thing to say hope that's so right. um thanks for having me that's okay would you like to introduce the track that you're going to introduce and yeah we'll we'll say goodbye now and uh yeah go for it <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm going to introduce I think Glitter off my off my album Indigo Dream because I think I don't know if you've heard it, Chris, but I think you might like that one. Yeah, that was one of the ones that started off as a Western tune that I kind of then made into a a one hit wonder 1970s number one kind of vibe. <laughs> Excellent. So that, yeah, it's Glitter. Cool. It's Glitter. <laughs>
so good to speak to Emma. Um, she's a really, really talented producer. I love her approach to making music. I love the sort of explorative element to her production and her sound. It's really sort of dreamlike and ethereal, and um, it's a great um, testament to just going on your own path with music making and not necessarily following the herd and following what everyone else is doing also just a really fucking hilarious chat uh, especially talking about the fatberg and the chicken and various other things with emma we've got two week break now basically just got one of the world's biggest stars on the show somehow um i'm not going to say who it is just yet but you will find out in two weeks time uh thank you very much for listening uh really appreciate everybody listening if you want to donate please donate that would be superb let's uh say goodbye and reconvene in two weeks time for one of the world's biggest, biggest artists, artists. Uh, uh i'm Indira, I'm Indira. Indira. and i'll see you and again, I'll see you again. again.